Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Okay. So guys, this is Doc Hoffpower coming to you from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. And I am really lucky to be joined by two real heavy hitters in dentistry tonight, and that is Michael Graham and Craig Armstrong. Uh, you may know them as the head lobbyist of the ADA and our local trustee here in Texas. For those of you who don't know them, they're amazing giving individuals. Craig, I believe you've got over 20 years of, of experience of working for other dentists and organized dentistry. And Graham, the same with you, as, as a matter of fact. If I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, is it 26 years? Tw 25. I'm in my 25th year representing the ADA. Fantastic. Now, before we begin, uh, I am going to hijack our conversation here for just one second to mention something that's been going on. Folks, a lot of the, a lot of the craziness that's going on, honestly, I think it's going to bring out the best and the worst in people. There are some groups that have been horrible and they've been attacking other people in dentistry who are taking leadership roles and trying to get out good information to you and trying to make sure that this has the least impact on your family, your business, and on our profession than it possibly can. If you see that type of behavior, take a stand. Leave the group at the very least. But if you see someone tearing someone else down who's going out of their way to help you to get through this time, just be a good person. With that being said, I'm gonna turn this over to um, honestly, Mr. Graham first, because we're going to work our way into the loan process with, uh, with Dr. Armstrong. So, Mr. Graham, thank you again for joining us. And this is the second time I've had the pleasure of, of your, your virtual company. I have to say, I really, really dug that sweaty last time. I feel like I, I'm a little <laughs> underdressed now. So, how, how, have th how have things been going on the Hill? So, so here's where we are. Um, it's about 7 o'clock on the East Coast on Friday, the president signed H.R. 748 into law. So now the CARES Act, C-A-R-E-S, the CARES Act is now law. It has now been enacted. Fantastic. So the timing of this, Chris, could, could not be better. And, and while they, the, they actually have 15 days to implement this new law, there are aspects of the law that take effect before that. There are aspects of the law, and I know this may be confusing to some, but there are aspects of the law that take place immediately. Then there are aspects that they have that will take a few days and up to 15 days. Okay. Now, there are also aspects of the law actually that they have a look, what we refer to as a look back provision that will go back um, to, for example, you can take a, an idle loan. If you took an idle loan out in February, right. You are, that is a good, that idle loan is good in order to get what we call the grant. And I know we're going to talk about that, um, right. Chris, so, but that's just so an example. Retrospective. Of, so exactly. re some retrospective. Yeah. And you, you, you had yeah. hinted that that might be a, uh, that might be a possibility right. whenever I interviewed you last time. That's right. Now, let me just say this, um, that uh, I actually have access to what I think are the best consultants in Washington, D.C. on how to read legislation 
so that we are as accurate as we can possibly be in giving you, the listener, our dentist members, information um, about what this new law means to you, your practice, your employees, and your patients. Um, we, I was on a call last night with uh, an organization, uh, the Academy of Dentist CPAs. Now, these are some pretty outstanding folks when it comes to knowing how the tax code impacts the dental practice. We, I was on that call until almost 11 o'clock last night. I could have stayed on there for a couple hours more. The discussions that they were having were so important to us understanding what this new law means to, to you, to our dentists and, and their practice. Um, now, having said all of that, um, when a bill becomes a law, it is assigned to a federal agency. So this particular law will go to the Department of Labor, it will go to Treasury, it will go to Health and Human Services, it will go to the IRS. And they will write regulatory guidance as to what the interpretation, the guidance on what this law does. It's their interpretation. I believe, Chris, that that we we are as close to being on target as anybody possibly can be. So the information your listeners are going to get today, I think, is great information. And and the only asterisk I put by that is. When the regulations come out, the guidance comes out, they may have some tweaks to that. But I think what we're giving you is, is really the best information. This, this bill was 880 pages long. Wow. Um, and, and so um, there's going to be a little bit of work. They're giving, they're giving the agencies, uh, well, that's why they give them 15 days to um, implement parts of this. Excellent. So um, what... What can you tell us about it other than the, the loan aspect? And I know we're going to get into that. Um, you, you, and I know that we're going to have some guidance going forward from, from some of the different agencies. Are there any things that you can tell us for absolute certain that, hey, this is going to happen, uh, this is not going to happen? Well, let me start. The, can I start with the loan aspect first? Because, you absolutely can. Okay. Uh, Graham, because this, I actually, this is your show, my friend. <laughs> Um, the, the loan aspect of, of this, and again, I was on the call with these, there were 52 people on line, 52 CPAs that, um, that they really are the consultants for hundreds of dental practices, maybe thousands. And, and they, we all agree that probably the most important aspect of that at this point for a dental practice is determine how much, how much cash you have to carry you forward. I mean, most uh, across most of the country, dental practices are either closed, and we've heard that up to one third are closed completely, and the other ones are partially closed, maybe open for emergency procedures. Now, that's a big impact on your cash flow, and as small business people, and most of our dentists run practices that are small business, cash flow is very important. And while you may have maybe enough cash and reserve to carry you for a month. We don't know how long this is going to go on. So right. um, the first thing these CPAs, and I agree, the first thing that I think any small business owner, dental practice should do is secure the money you need to get you through this. And the best way to do that, the best way to do that 
is to go up online at the Small Business Administration site at the SBA okay. and get a what's called an idle loan. And that's the spelling of it is E-I-D-L. And it stands for Economic Injury Disaster Loan. Apply for that now. Now, why do I say that? Um, because when you apply for the idle loan, and, and this is, I understand this is going to sound a little complicated, but when you apply for the idle loan, part of that up to $10,000 of that loan request, it is, comes to you in the form of a grant, meaning you don't have to pay it back. So let me give you an example. So let's say I've determined with my accountant, and I always would recommend you talk to your accountant, as, they, as you walk through this process, because they'll help you decide how much money do I need and what do I get the tax write-offs and so forth. Um, I apply for a hundred thousand uh, dollar loan, idle loan. Um, now the process is you go up online, you apply for it. You don't write in anywhere in that how much money you want. This is going to be counterintuitive to all of us. Okay, but. You, you apply for the loan. Within three days, the, the Small Business Administration, if you are approved or even if you're not approved, yep, you heard me right, whether you're approved or not approved, you get a, if you are qualified, if you are a qualified entity, and there's a whole definition of that, which is you're a small business of 500 or fewer employees, you're a sole proprietor, um, for example, you will actually get a grant of ten up to $10,000. Then you're probably, and this is not spelled out in the legislation, but you are then going to get a notice from the Small Business Administration that says you have been approved. And so go, let's go back to the example. The example is I, I want $100,000. I determined with my accountant that I want $100,000. I make applications, but there's nowhere on the application that it says how much, right? But I know that's how much I need. So I make application. Within three days, SBA is supposed to send me $10,000. And yes, it's true. What they're doing is they then take your application. They determine whether or not you're eligible, okay? And I'm assuming the vast majority of dentists are going to be. And then they actually shop that loan application. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Skip the step. They they will get back to you and say you've been approved. Then they'll ask you how much do you want. At that point, I write down I want one hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. So then 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 they'll send you they'll send you the grant of ten thousand dollars. They'll shop what ends up being a ninety thousand dollar loan if you're following okay. me to a commercial bank, um, and it has to be a preferred lender. Um, they will approve it. Now, that's how the idle loan process is supposed to work. And I, I know that uh, Dr. Armstrong has done that himself. And actually, his experience might be a benefit, Chris, for some folks to hear, but I'll leave that up to. Absolutely. And I have to say, thank you very much, because that actually answers one of our viewers questions. Someone called me right before we got on here. And they said, Chris, I don't understand. They told me if I apply for the loan that I have to take the $10,000 off or something like that. I don't get it. Why would I apply for this loan? Why would I apply for the grant? I just don't understand. Can you ask him about that? So it seems like what you're telling us is no matter what you apply for the loan, 
while they're considering whether or not they're going to be giving you the loan and how, and you don't, you don't tell them how much you need. Basically, you're also going to be put into the running for this other amount of money, this $10,000 that is going to be a grant. No matter what, you're going to get that $10,000 if you qualify for the loan. And sometimes if you don't qualify for the loan, and then they'll ask you how much you need and they'll take that $10,000 off of it. Is that pretty much it? Just to be clear. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, you have to be qualified. In other words, you have to fall under the category, but, but it, it may well be that you don't get the loan. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dental practice. I have five employees. Okay. So I'm a small business and, 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 and I have been impacted by this COVID-19 virus. So right there, I qualify. Okay. Now they have to, SBA has to acknowledge that and, and certify that. And the information that you're providing in the application should, should help them do that. Um, they are going to get back to you and say, hey, we determined that you were eligible for the loan. And now we're going to shop the loan to the banks. But if no bank takes me up on that loan, I still get the $10,000. Is that clear? Because the $10,000 is actually an advance on the hundred. They call it an advance. It's, it's a grant, an advance. You'll hear both terms. It's, it's a combination it program. And, and the, 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 the long and short of it, people, no matter what, $10,000 of it is not going to carry interest and you're not going to have to pay it back because it is a grant which is super cool. And, and um, Chris, so, if I might jump in here just for a second, I, I want to make one thing clear that, that Mike has, has um, mentioned in the past. There is a limited amount of money available for these idle loans. Right. There's a $10 billion fund set up for that specific $10,000 period that need, you need to access this quickly. And that's one of the things that we're trying to get out to uh, your listeners is that this is money that you need to get in line for because it's going to run out. It's on a first come first serve basis. And just to share with your listeners a little bit about my experience, um, the, the FBA.gov website is where you go to apply for this. And at the top of the page, there's a coronavirus section. When you click on that, then you can apply online. So what you're going to do is you're going to determine whether you fall into a category as a sole proprietor, which you're going to download one form, and if you're not a sole proprietor, you're an S-Corp or an LLC, you're going to download the other forms. You're going to fill those, get those forms out, and as Mike said very accurately, you're not going to put anywhere on that form what you're requesting, but you are going to have to su uh, submit supporting documentation uh, that they walk you through. You're going to have to list your liabilities, the cost of your um, cost of your goods sold, and your gross receipts for last year or the year that you last filed an income tax return on. And you're going to have to file these supporting documentations along with this. So you're going to download these forms after you fill them out online, print them out, and then upload them to the website for the SBA.gov website. And it, it takes a couple of hours. You're going to have to have this information at your fingertips from your practices, but it's real important because I've, I've had members actually reach out to me that the, the 5C form, which is your sole proprietor form, is a little bit funny because it's a home, um, it's a disaster form that serves different functions, but it does have an, an economic injury portion to it. And that's the form that your sole proprietors need to fill out. So it's very important that you fill the right form out. 
the process is pretty easy. It's just like any government form that you have to fill out. They want a lot of documentation, but you're going to have to get your EIN numbers, your payroll information, and stuff like that, because that's the stuff they're going to ask you for in these supporting documents. And then, as, as Mike alluded to, um, what you're going to do is get that into the pipeline as quick as you can, so you get that money uh, in, in line, so you get that $10,000, which you're going to get whether or not you are approved for the loan or not. Now, the other part of that is, is there's another part of this HR 748, which has to do with the Paycheck Protection Loan or the Small Business, uh, Administration, Administ Small Business Administration 7A Loan. And these idle loans, once you get approved for that, if you are approved from that, for the entire amount of money, you can roll that into that 7A loan. Now that's one of the things that you're gonna to have to do, if whatever state you're in, you're gonna to have to get a list of your SBA preferred providers, and you can go online and get that information. I've already done it today for the state of Texas. It lists all your providers that are preferred by the SBA. Now I um, reached out to mine, and I happened to bank at Chase. They don't have that information yet. That's okay. As Mike said, it's taken 15 days to get this stuff all lined up. So it's going to take a little while for things to come out, come about. But the, the, the takeaway, the takeaway message is get your idle loan applied for because that money is there in the form of a grant and it is a limited amount and it's going to go away if you don't get on, uh, get in queue for that money. So. Absolutely. And you know, we had a couple of questions pop up. Um, some of them went off screen. I'm not quite sure where they went, but someone said that Pennsylvania has a hundred thousand dollar interest free loan for three years that they're offering. Can you combine both programs? It seems to me that you should be able to, one's a state program, one is a national program. Um, can you, can you speak to that Mr. Graham? Actually, I, I can't. Um, I, I don't know the details of that. Um, it, and it may be that you can do that. I have not seen anything in the new law that, that mentions that. But, um, you know, that's something we certainly can look into. Okay. And let me see here. I just bought my, and, and, and Craig, jump in if this is a better question for you. Um, okay. Rumor has it that if you take the SBA loan, then you can't get, and it just, Fell off the computer. That is just amazing. They're commenting so tell quickly you, here. Go I ahead. can tell you what I can tell you what I think that is because we've received this um, uh, question a number of times. And, okay. And and the, and I think the question is if I get the idle loan, which is an SBA loan, if I get the idle loan, um, I cannot get the seven A loan. You get okay. one or the other, and that is something that actually. We had, um, we've actually, banks have been putting that information out. And we read, right. the, no, in fact, it's not. It, that's it's, it's the way exactly it was before, uh, <laughs> before the bill was signed into law, you, you could do, you had to do one or the other. Um, this, the law now has changed that. This is our reading that, that if you, and, and, and Dr. Armstrong mentioned this, I apply for the idle loan. I get the idle loan. Um, I then take the idle. I take my grant, which is up to ten thousand dollars. I take the idle loan. I go to my banker because remember, I get my idle loan through the SBA website. 
but the 7A loan, also known as the, is the, the Paycheck Protection Program, um, I go to my preferred lender, the banker, and I say, now I want to take out a 7A loan, and I want to take my idle loan, and I want to wrap that into my 7A loan. And there's a reason for that, and it has to do with loan forgiveness. Um, I will tell you this uh, also, that the, the idle loan, uh, the, loan, the loan rate as we understand it is 3.75%. When you wrap that into the 7A loan, um, that's a 4.0 rate. That's a 4% rate. So, yep, you pay a little bit more to get the 7A, but you can wrap it in. And, and now, and maybe Dr. Armstrong could elaborate because um, he hinted at this, what do I do now that I've wrapped the idle loan into the 7A loan? What do I do with the 7A loan? What am I allowed to spend that on? What's a qualified expense? And also loan forgiveness. And I, I don't know, Dr. Armstrong, if um, if you got that far, but, but maybe your experience. I, I actually have, Mike. Thanks for, for bringing that up. One of the things that the Paycheck Protection Loan, which is the SBA 7A loan, one of the things that the qualified expenses that you can actually uh, have with that are salaries, vacation, family medical, sick leave, healthcare benefits, retirement benefits, and state and local taxes. So those are the certain qualifying expenses that you're eligible to, to take. Uh, you can get loan forgiveness for those things. Now there is some question as to uh, how much of the loan forgiveness you will get uh, depending on how long you retain your employees. Now, I don't know, if, Mike, if you want to speak to that. We've had that on our seminar today. We, we actually have but that it's a question complicated, just up. It's a complicated uh, scenario, but basically the government is trying to um, make a uh, keep you to keep your employees throughout this difficult period. They don't want them to, to lose continuity, so they're trying to incentivize you by giving you a loan forgiveness if you retain your employees all the way through. So the, the dilemma that you're gonna to have to face as a private business owner and a, uh, an employer of a lot of our teams who are like family members to us, is you're gonna to have to make the decision, is it better for you to, to lay off temporarily or furlough your employees and let them draw unemployment? Right. Or are you going to go ahead and try to help keep them uh, their employment continued throughout this and use your 7A loan um, as a paycheck uh, you know, replacement loan to help them hold when you get forgiven on, your, on the amount that you're borrowing against. Now, the other thing that Mike, he alluded to it with the 7A pay, paycheck protection loan is the interest rate on that is, is, is 4% with a 10-year maturity. Your idle loan has a 30-year 30-year um, maturity and a 3.75% interest rate. Okay. So we have a couple of questions here that have popped up that I know you guys are just raring to hear. So, um, and I want to ask them before they disappear off the screen. So one person has asked, I have several businesses with different EINs. May I apply for each business separately? That's our first question. Our second is um, how long do you have to keep your employees? Is it June 30th or December 31st for the forgiveness? Um, and yet another one is, this one's curious. I'm not quite sure what they mean, but I'm thinking, Craig, you might. It just says, no more online applications, question mark, exclamation point. 
So which which one of you wants to jump on which one of those questions? I can take I can take a stab at the uh, the multiple business question, Chris, because I, I kind of am in that same situation because I have a business one I have a business entity and I have an, a partner with an, in another one. So you have some forms that you need to fill out, and and on the uh, the website for the uh, SBA.gov. They do have uh, forms that you have to fill out, and you are going to have to fill out a separate EIN number for all the businesses that you have. And you're going to have to get the uh, IRS authorization forms that are going to be filled out, and they're going to need to be filled out for every entity as well. So it's a bit cumbersome, but the forms are readily downloadable from the IRS website and the SBA website. And uh, you know your your listeners can certainly do that. But yes, you are going to have to uh, do multiple EIN. Uh, requests. Okay. Let, let me, uh, Chris, if you don't mind, let me take a stab at the second question and let me paraphrase Please. what what uh, the question was. And it had to do with some dates. And I think I heard you say uh, June 30th and December 31st. Correct. Um, now, this is important. Um, and this is our interpretation. Again, we're waiting for the regulations to come out. But our interpretation of the uh, loan forgiveness aspect of this is that when you get that, when you get the, when you have now secured the 7A loan, when you have secured that, the date when you secure that loan, you then have 60 days and Congress capped it. You have 60 days essentially to, to spend that loan money and, and only within those 60 days is that loan forgiveness good. So let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for, hypothetically, you get the, the 7A loan on April 15th. Then you have 60 days from April 15th to, let's say, uh, June 15th. It wouldn't be, but because that's more than 60 days, right? But, but anyway, uh, those 60 days, 60 days after April 15th, to spend that loan money on your qualified expenses. Those expenses that Dr. Armstrong mentioned. So it's the mortgage or the rent, it's the payroll and, and healthcare and so forth. Um, once you get outside of the 60 days, and there's a reason why Congress did this, you, you're not eligible for loan forgiveness because they only give you 60 days. And here's, here's what we believe the reason is obviously, is because they're certainly hopeful that this is not gonna last more than that. I mean, they're not going to give you loan forgiveness for the entire year because then in a sense, I guess I could, um, I guess I could pay all my employees all year long. So they're giving you a window for which you can, you can uh, use this loan to pay for these qualified expenses. And, and that's how they, that's why they structured it the way they did. Couple of other questions here. Um, what, the one about the loan, the um, no more online, that's already been answered. You download a PDF, fill out and upload it. Um, can we take only the 10,000? One of our viewers said, hey, I just want the 10 grand. Can I take the 10 grand and whenever the loan comes back, tell them I only wanted 10? Can you do this, yes or no? Well, we, I, this is my uh, fourth webinar today. Um, and that question has come up every single time. <laughs> and was it actually, always a dentist? <laughs> oh, of course it's a dentist. Are you kidding? We only do this for the dentist. So, you know, we've, I actually thought 
about this last night while we were doing this discussion with the accountants. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? There's no reason why you couldn't. As far as I'm concerned, if you if you write make an application for an idle loan for ten thousand dollars, then they're 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 going to give you an advance against that ten thousand dollars up to ten thousand dollars. But I'm only asking for ten thousand dollars, so why wouldn't they give it to you? So it's not a loan; it becomes a grant. So all that money is tax free. I don't know, Dr. Armstrong, if you see it differently. No, I think I see it the same way, Mike. I think you're, I think the takeaway really is important here because I think you've got 10 grand on the table that you that's available to you if you apply quickly. Seems like a no-brainer. After that, it's not going to be available, but it's it's there. Whether or not you are approved or not for that loan, you you will get the 10 grand is the way that I understand it. Excellent. Go to wait. So we have another question here. It says, my business just started in February. Can I qualify for this loan. What is the date that your business has to have started? And I actually, my dojo tried filing for the loan and we were told that we were not an old enough business. So talk to us a little bit about that. What date does your business have to have started? I've actually looked at that somewhat and, and I think your business has to be, you have to be in business as of January 20th or something like that. I think that's, I mean, don't quote me exactly on that date, but there is there is information that you have to have had been in business a certain amount of time. Now they have waived the 20, uh, the 12 months prior commitment. Uh, Cause that was, that was a little bit, I've experienced that too, because my new partnership has only been in business for three months. So I didn't, I didn't have 12, 12 months of, uh, of expenses to, to uh, liabilities to go from. So that they, I read in the, uh, in the bill that they have waived that requirement. Excellent. You excellent, should excellent. you should be a lobbyist, Dr. Armstrong. Well, <laughs> I, I worked with you guys before, Mike. So I, I, I know, you know I love you guys. So. <laughs> All right. And I I actually don't remember the date, but I it, it, Dr. Armstrong is jogging my memory um, that I think he's absolutely right. That's something we need to check on. All right. Let me see here. What else do we have? Um, bum, 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 bum. Oh, what are the ramifications of 7A forgiveness if you laid off employees and then bring them back when 7A comes through? Uh, let me give you my take on this, just because this was probably um, the most interesting discussion that we had last night with these accountants. And they actually saw this as a real, this was a dilemma for the dentist employer. And that is, like Dr. Armstrong, I think, mentioned, which is some of your employees have been with you for years, if not decades, and you, they're almost like family. Um, so do you, is it better for your practice? This is what you're weighing. What's good for my practice and what's good for my employees? Um, but also, and I've said this so many times since we, this crisis began, I've said, you know, one of the one of the, the probably the best thing you can do for your employees is to make sure when this crisis is over they have a job to come back to so so the tough decision for you as the dentist employer is can i carry my employees and that's where the 7a loan comes in um or do i have to furlough them or lay them off and and every state defines that a little bit differently so again you have to talk to somebody about that um, 
But the dilemma was, and I we believe the law allows this. So if I laid off my employee or furloughed that employee, could I bring them back as soon as I get the 7A loan? And the answer is yes. That's how we read it. Dr. Armstrong, did you read it differently? No, I, I agree with that, Mike. Uh, one thing that I do want to throw out, because I've had a lot of people contact me about this today. So the dilemma, of course, is whether or not to furlough them or lay them off. And I understand that that's a different um, in state by state that differs. But let's play the scenario that you do lay off your employees and they're eligible for unemployment benefits and they get a benefit, let's say $300 a week for their benefit, which is not their entire salary, but a percentage of that. The federal uh, unemployment compensation they're going to give to you may make it may make them closer to being whole. So it might not be a bad idea to let them go on unemployment with the federal subsidy and the one-time rebate that they're going to get if they earn uh, under $99,000. So I think that, that those are the things that you're going to have to talk to your accountant about and make those decisions. But I think that it gives the opportunity for businesses to actually feel a little bit better about having to lay them off until they get their 7A loan proceeds in and then hire them back. That's the way I look at it, Mike. And Chris, if you don't mind, let me just add to that because you're spot Absolutely. on, uh, Dr. Armstrong, again, that uh, in this law, in the new law, um, Congress appropriated a significant amount of money, billions and billions of dollars that would go in essentially uh, into, um, into this unemployment compensation bucket, okay? And from that federal bucket, each state gets a certain amount of money, in a sense, like a block grant. So they'll, they'll get a pot of money. The intention of that is that the state then gives each person who enrolls in, uh, in the unemployment, uh, you know, in the unemployment program in that state, an additional $600, up to $600. So Dr. Armstrong's right, if in the state of Texas, they're giving you $300, and it's, it's based on income, right? So if you're getting, if your dental assistant is now going to get on that you've laid off is going to get $300 from the state, the feds will give you, give that employee an additional up to $600. And that is a significant supplement, I think, that may make you, the dentist, feel better. Um, and it, and it, when you secure that 7A loan, then you can bring that employee back if you want, and then you, you can then write off the monies that you have spent to hire them back, all those qualified expenses that we talked about, the mortgage, the payroll, and so forth, the utilities, um, and, and you'll be, you, you can write that part of it off. So I think that's the combination of things that the dentist owner should really think about. And I think that's, those are good options, actually. Sorry, guys. Sorry about that. I was trying to answer a question here, and I'm evidently Facebook handicapped. So, um, we have a, another really good question here, and I think this is one that's I, I've seen pile through this. The, the questions are coming in faster than I can answer them, guys. So you're doing a great job here. Um, if I'm 1099 or W-2, do I still qualify? Can I still file? What if you have two positions, one each? What was that? I we didn't catch the last part of that. When you have two um, positions, this, this, this person asks, do 1099s and W-2s both qualify to, to file for, I believe it's the 7A, um, 
And um, if I have two jobs and I have both classifications, I'm a 1099 at one place and a W-2 at another place, can I file at both job locations? Well, I can speak to the 1099 because that's an independent contractor. And it, if that, that is in the legislation, so that is a qualified, um, they make provisions for the 1099. And then of course, if you get a W-2, then you're, you know, you're an employee. So you're going to be subject to the, to the laws as, as, as our employees are. So I would say yes to both of those, but and, definitely and the 1099 two, uh, independent contractor is a qualified um, person. Excellent. And or, if they have two the jobs, idle loan. Sense, they, is that right? Or the idle loan. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, All right. Fantastic. Correct. Another person asked, is there any way I can apply for the idle, the SBA 7A and the PPP at the same place? Well, the, the SBA, no, but the SBA 7A loan is the, P, the, pay, the paycheck protection loan. So those are one and the same. Yeah. But no, you, I mean, you can't do that. I mean, they're not. I mean, I'm not able to. He meant because I, I looked at PPP and I was like, man, they must have said something while I was answering a question. I missed it. All right. So, um, no. sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it, and Dr. Armstrong's right. And, and again, I just want to emphasize because this is confusing, guys, um, that you apply for the EIDL loan online at, at the SBA website. After you've secured that loan, then you want to go to your preferred lender to secure the 7A. Completely different. You cannot go to your preferred lender and ask to get the idle loan. They, they can't help you with that. Right. Okay. Um, we have a couple other good questions here. Um, one that keeps coming up is, what percentage of my team do I have to rehire after this? And when do I have to rehire them? What, what is the date? certain that they have to be rehired at. And another one I believe is actually kind of associated with that. And that is, should I convert all of my salaried employees to hourly so that they too can apply for this? Well, the, first of all, the salaried question, if they're, if they're salaried, they're not exact, they're not necessarily exempt employees if they're, if they're hourly. So you, you wouldn't have to change because we have salaried employees. And they're 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 all non-exempt. I mean, they're all exempt employees. They're not um, they're not exempt employees. I'm sorry. So that's you don't need to do that. But the first part of that question was was what was it? Oh, the first part first was part what question. percentage of my oh. team do I have to rehire, and by what date certain? Mike, I don't know if you want to answer that, but I was going to answer what happens on the amount because your loan forgiveness goes is adjusted based on the people that you, if you don't hire them all back, right? That's, that's the way the legislation's written so that there is a difference in the amount that you would get if you don't have the same number of people at the that's beginning it. as you would at the end. He's got it, that's it. You've gotta have the, if you started with this number, you've gotta finish with the same number. You, so that, and, and actually that's something I would talk to your accountant about, but that's how we understand it. So Dr. Armstrong was correct. Okay, and we have a, another question here. Guys, thank you, by the way, so much for going above and beyond and answering all these. Uh, I know that there's, they're coming rapid fire. Um, this person says, uh, can you talk a little bit about the 12 weeks we're now currently supposed to pay in the event that the dentist is not exempt? Does the team get a 22 week of pay from us when they've also gotten unemployment? I am so confused. 
the question confused me. So do you guys so, do you guys understand what they're asking? Yeah, yes. and, you know, I'll take a shot at it, and then yep. uh, Dr. Armstrong will clean up all my mistakes. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. So um, this provision has uh, is not in the bill that was signed into law today. It was in the second uh, COVID-19 relief bill that was signed into law on March 18th. March 18th. Now, there are two aspects of the, the law. It's now public law 116-127. Uh, I just want to see if I can remember what it was. Um, but again, that was signed into law um, on the 18th of March. Now, it has to do with sick leave and family medical leave. And here's what it says. It says that with regard to um, an individual, an employee of yours, uh, and whether or not they are eligible, let's start off with the, um, the two weeks of sick leave first. Whether they're eligible for the two weeks of sick leave depends on six circumstances. And this is important that we remember this. And I'm gonna walk, because this is one of the hardest things to grasp, and I, and I get it, but, um, so you have an employee, I'm gonna give you an example. You have a, a hygienist and um, your hygienist, um, you, have to, you have to look at each individual employee separately. Um, we're gonna take the hygienist. And so you ask um, these questions. Is the hygienist, um, does the hygienist, has he or she contracted uh, the coronavirus? If the answer is no, then they don't fall under circumstance one. So they would not be eligible for the two weeks. Circumstance two, are they be, is the federal, state, and local government, have they issued a quarantine? So if your dental practice is not under a quarantine, then that hygienist is not eligible. And we're talking about a single hygienist, by the way, no kids, because I'll get to that in a minute. Um, then not eligible for the quarantine. And let me give you an asterisk here too, because this has come up many, many times. So in, in most states, the governors have said, you know what, we're gonna quarantine everybody. Businesses are shut down, but dental practices are allowed to be open for emergency procedures. So are you shut down? No, not in my opinion, you're not shut down. You're still open for emergency procedures. So that second circumstance does not apply. And your hygienist could not request two weeks of extra sick leave based on that. Does the, is the hygienist taking care of a family member who has the coronavirus? If the answer is no, not eligible for the two weeks. Um, does, the, uh, does the hygienist, him or herself, um, have any symptoms for which the, the her physician, his or her physician, believes they should be quarantined. That's number four. If the answer is no, not eligible for the two weeks. Now, um, I'll forget about number six because that's convoluted, but the, the one that we as a profession care very much about is, is what I call number five, and it's actually listed number five by the Department of Labor, and that is, um, it, it, in this case, the hygienist is single. Okay, um, but if the hygienist had children and the children were home from school because the governor ordered all the schools shut down, that is number five. So you, the dentist owner, 
have a hygienist who has children and the schools have been closed down so the kids are home if that were the case then you the dentist owner would be responsible for paying two weeks of sick leave now let me stop there the ada sent a letter to the department of labor the secretary of the department of labor secretary scalia and requested because the law allowed it requested a blanket exemption for dental practices so that if your employee had a child home from school because the school was closed due to the coronavirus, we want to be exempt from that. So in other words, those only if we get the exemption and we're still waiting for the Department of Labor to give us the exemption, the blanket exemption, um, if we got that exemption, there would only be four instances, four circumstances by which you, the dentist owner, would have to pay those two weeks of leave. Um, and I won't get into the family medical leave yet. I just want to confirm with uh, Dr. Armstrong that that's your understanding as well. No, that, that is my understanding too, Mike. One of the things, the way that, that I interpreted it was that the, the other thing, if they had child care that wasn't able to be provided as a result of the coronavirus, not, not just if they had school children that, because of the schools closed, but if they had children at home that couldn't get child care because of that, they couldn't get a child care provider, then they would be, that would be a circumstance as well. So you're right. So, so what, if it's a school or a, a child care center, in other words, a child's younger than school age and both either or both of those clothes, that would be also fall under circumstance number five. Okay. So now let me go one step further. And that has to do with extended family medical leave. And that is an additional. So let's say that, um, let's say that, uh, you're in the case where um, you have the employee who's taking care of a family member um, uh, who has coronavirus, and that means that you will be responsible for paying those two weeks. But, and there's an exemption for, for small businesses of 50 or fewer employees, if, um, if it goes beyond, is that employee eligible for long-term family medical leave, meaning another 10 weeks, and, and actually under the law, you would not be because of the small business exemption. The only place where the extended leave could affect a small business of 50 or fewer is in the case of the child being home from school because the school is closed, or as Dr. Armstrong mentioned, the child care center being closed. And, that, and we are asking for that exemption as well. We are asking for an exemption in both cases, whether it's the two weeks of leave or the extended family medical leave, we want dental practices to be exempted. And, and, and honestly, some folks have actually come back and said, well, that seems mean. Um, you know what, if you wanna pay your employees extended leave, you can do that. Um, but we wanted the flexibility for the dental practices to make that decision on their own. I'm sorry, Doctor, you were gonna comment? No, I was gonna make a comment. Um, you know, Mike mentioned that at the beginning of this, that a lot of guidance has to come from different agencies like the Department of uh, Labor and Treasury and so forth. Well, this particular exemption has to go through the Department of Labor. And one of the things about this exemption is that there is a, a, an out for small businesses with 50 or less employees if uh, adhering to their requirement would, would uh, jeopardize the viability of that business. And so that's the exemption that we're holding on to and as of yet, I think we don't have that information yet, but if we're trying to get a blanket exemption, 
But if we can't get a blanket exemption, we can still do individual exemptions, I understand it. And you could still make your case that by paying that extra 10 weeks, it might jeopardize the viability of your business. Gotcha. And, and I have to apologize, guys. I keep looking away from you. I, it's really very rude of me as an interviewer, but the questions are coming so fast, I'm trying to write them down. Um, so we have quite a few here. Um, some of them are tag teaming onto other questions you've already answered. So I'm going to ask those first uh, because I think we'll be able to get through them quickly. Um, what if I have an employee who is already scheduled to leave from maternity leave in April? Um, obviously a unique circumstance. So, and I'm probably going to say we probably need more guidance on that. Is, is that correct? Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Fantastic. So sorry about that, Sonny. I tried. Um, uh, next one is my employees don't want to come back. They say they're getting paid more to not work than they were being paid to work. Um, do I still not get my, um, my not exemption, but rather do a, a forgiveness. And the next one is um, bum, bum, bum. I'm an owner doctor and um, I'd like to go on unemployment myself. Does it matter what type of business, what type of business organizational structure I have? S Corp versus PLLC versus C Corp. And one last one, and then I'll, I'll let you guys jump on this. Um, EIDL or 7A or both? Which ones are dependent upon the number of people you hire back for forgiveness? And I think you actually really covered that already. But I think so. if, we, if we could just go back into that one one more time. Because like, like, like you guys said, it is, it is very confusing. There's a lot of information. Great questions coming, guys. So, Mike, you want to take the... I don't remember the... No, I'm trying to remember the first question. I thought the first question I, I, I could do, uh, but I can't remember it. Okay. I'm let, sorry, let, me, let me go back over here. Uh, let's do one at a time. Back to work? Okay. Let me do that one. Okay. So um, actually, um, and, and this is what held up the Senate bill from passage because some folks did the math. Some senators did the math and said, well, you know what? There are some employees that actually may do better being on unemployment if you've got X amount of dollar, dollars coming from the state of Texas, for example, right. and then I get 600 on top of that. Well, that may be good for them, I guess, um, but there, Congress is only extending this unemployment program for four months, so right. it only will be good for four months. Um, so I think if they... If your employees want to do that, they only got four months of vacation time. So, so the question the there second is second question had to do with whether or not um, dentist owners mm -hmm. um, could could uh, is it file for unemployment? File for yeah. unemployment, and does it matter what type of corporate structure they have in place? Doctor Armstrong, do you want to well, take that? I can I can take the one part of that question for sure. If you're, if you're an S-Corp and you're an, employee, you're an employee of the corporation, you can most definitely file for unemployment as an employee. We've done that actually. It's not, we're not going to get compensated very much, but we figured a little bit's better than none. So we, we definitely did that. Um, as far as uh, the sole proprietorship, Mike, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, I'm afraid. And I don't believe that's the case. So you're in a different structure, you're not an employee. So, um, so I, I'm fairly certain my memory is from the conversation with the accountants that that's not the case. 
So we have uh, two more questions here. One tags on to one of the previous questions that we uh, had you answer. Uh, and another one is a new question. And I believe actually this is going to be one for each of you. Uh, one of the questions says, I am an LLC. Do I still, out, still fill out the sole proprietor form? And the other question is, if my employees don't want to come back to work from unemployment, can I still get forgiveness? And I have one more that's similar, and that is an employee who left because they they refused to work until there was a cure. And so can that person still get- Well, I'll, I'll take the uh, LLC one because I am an LLC. And I can tell you that um, the LLC one, you don't, you fill out the form five, not the five C. The five C is for the sole proprietor. The form five is the one that you fill out. And then you need to really look at the filing requirements that are associated with that particular form because it'll guide, guide you through all the supporting documentation that you'll need to um, fill out and upload back into the system. But that, that's really the, the point I wanted to make early on was don't go through all of this exercise and pick the wrong form. It's very, it's very self-explanatory. And there's a, there's a, an economic injury. There's an economic injury uh, category for the sole proprietor on the form 5C. So that's if you're a sole proprietor, and in Texas, I know we've got a lot of dentists that are sole proprietors. That's the one you need to fill out, Form 5C. If you are an LLC or S Corps or any of those, um, the other form is for that. Um, the other part of that question was uh, that, the, oh, the employee who refuses to come. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, an employee who refuses to come back, and the um, and the employees who don't come back because of not having a cure. It basically, it's the same question, is if my employees don't come back to work, can I still get yeah. forgiveness? If Sounds I like they quit. The <laughs> so, well, well let these, me, these, let these employees were placed on unemployment from the what I'm reading here, um, and okay. they just want to know, hey, look, I've offered them their job back, they don't want to come back, am I going to get penalized? So, let me, let me put it in the context of the loan, because I think this is important. So, if I'm, I'm the dentist, um, and, and maybe this doesn't answer the question in which I, I, I mean, up front apologize, but um, if, if I take out a 7A loan to cover some of my expenses during this that, and then be able to get loan forgiveness um, and my employees don't want to come back, in other words, I'm willing to rehire them and, and um, from, their, from their furlough, um, but they say, you know what, I want to stay on unemployment, then I don't then obviously I, I can't use, I can't, I'm not, in not paying for them, I can't get the loan forgiveness for that. But I can use some of that loan forgiveness to pay other things so I can pay the mortgage and the, and the utilities and, and so right. forth. Um, I just wouldn't be able to take advantage of, of um, you know, uh, the payroll deduction aspect of that. Um, but, but, but regardless you know, like, of... But if I could interject just a minute, I think there is a provision in the legislation that if somebody get, is offered their job back and they don't come back, I don't think that that counts against you uh, in your in the calculations for your loan forgiveness. I think if you've offered them their job back and they don't come back, I think there's some provision. I think I've read that. Somewhere. Excellent. So, All right. Well, I, I'm willing to bet we're going to need some more guidance on that um, because that's a very good question about people not... I wouldn't have imagined that people would say, 
you know, I don't want my job back, <laughs> but, but I suppose that's possible. So um, another person here has said, uh, let me see here. We are open part-time and I have some employees who are still there part-time for emergencies only. They're not truly unemployed. Can they still fire a uh, file? And can I, and I believe the answer to that is yes. They file for part-time unemployment or something like that. Yeah, can yeah. You, there, there's different categories. I know in Texas, there's different categories of what you can file for. You can, ha I mean, for instance, you can do a temporary layoff, a permanent layoff, reduction in hours uh, because of slowdowns. I mean, those are things that happen in other businesses that are seasonal, and there are accommodations for that within the labor law. But I would tell the, the listeners that you're going to have to check with each state wherever you know they're they're uh, happen to be living to get the exact guidance on that. And, and Chris, if I may, um, the ADA is actually having a webinar on April 1st on these labor issues. So some of the questions, a lot of the questions, in fact, um, that you've asked today have to do with labor issues. Right. We're doing, a, a ADA is doing a webinar. Um, I think it's limited to 10,000 people. And the webinars uh, that I did today for the ADA, we filled them up. So um, those of you who are listening that you want to hear more about the labor issues, April 1st, get online, sign up for those as soon as you can. Um, in addition to that, uh, the ADA has, has hired a firm that actually has attorney representatives from each state so that as questions come in, um, that we will be able to consult those, uh, those labor attorneys from that individual state and then we'll be able to post their responses. It'll be like a frequently asked questions kind of thing. So right. from Texas, um, we'll have a labor attorney uh, who knows the Texas labor laws. And, and as the questions come in, we'll be posting. You'll go up online is how I envision this. Um, and you'll look under Texas and you'll click on there for you know, frequently asked questions about labor issues. Okay, guys, I've got about 60 questions. Chris, I might mention, um, you know, the seminars that were done, the webinars that were done today, within 24 hours, they'll be, I know Mike mentioned this, but I want to reiterate, they'll be available to people to go to the ADA.org and, and request Absolutely. those on demand. So there's a lot of really good information for a lot of the listeners out there. So I think they should do that. And, and Craig, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to send me those. Hold on one second. Um, if you wouldn't mind, um, sending me those links so I can post it on TBOD to redirect people to the resources they need at the ADA. Well, it's real quick, I'm gonna take a, a quick break here and just remind you that all of these answers are being brought to you by the ADA. A lot of you spend a lot of time complaining about what the ADA does and doesn't do. Folks, this is when we need the ADA. Many of you know that I'm very active in the ADA and the TDA myself, and this is why, because Dentists who actually care about their profession want to make sure it continues. And times like these, there is no way that without the ADA's efforts, any of these laws would have gotten through without exempting dentists from getting paid because we're high earners. So you can thank the ADA for any relief that you're getting. So, and gentlemen, again, thank you. Um, we do have about 650,000 questions here. So I'm going to run through them real quick. <laughs> Mike said, can I leave now? Okay, so real quick. Um, gosh, you're coming too fast, guys. I, we, we may have to have Dr. Armstrong field some of these in the group because they're just, they're piling up too quick for me to ask them. Uh, my main concern is that we'll be on the hook for sick pay 
for employees still furloughed through April 1st. Is the Secretary of Labor likely to decide by then? You know, um, we, I was under the impression that the Secretary of Labor would make this decision by April 1st. Uh, and we have some, some of my lobbyists on staff have some great contacts over at Labor. And I think that's the intention of the Secretary of Labor, Secretary Scalia, to, to, to hit April 1st. But you know what? I, I wouldn't bet the farm on that. Um, I think they'll get it out as soon as they possibly can. Craig, this one is for you. Okay. I'm currently filling out the EIDL now. Form 4506T, do I request access to 1040 or 1120S, or do I need to just rub a magic lamp? At that part, so, I didn't ask, but I thought it'd be funny. So the, the, 40, the 4506T is the IRS request loan, and you need to fill out the 1120. Okay, perfect. So just got off the phone with the Disaster Relief SBA after a two and a half hour wait. They said that uploading the forms by paper will just go into a dark hole. Even though the website is down right now, they recommend still doing it online when it does come back up. Anybody have similar info? Uh, you guys know anything about that? Well, can I comment on that, Mike? Please, yeah, um, please. and then I, I'll, and maybe I'll add. Uh, what what we I spent an hour and thirty four minutes on hold with an SBA representative yesterday, and I got two two ways to to do this. One of them was to actually upload it, and the other was to do it by email. And so we I did it both ways. I don't know if that's going to lock me out or not, but I didn't know if one was going to work or not, and I just did it both ways. But I think that if you can't I mean, if the, obviously, if the site is crashing, you're not going to be able to upload it. But it does tell you when you upload it that it's been uploaded successfully. Okay. And Chris, let me add to that. Uh, this happened the other day. And, and, and we believe the problem is that you've got perhaps literally hundreds of thousands of people trying to go through the main SBA website portal. Um, the way around that is to go directly to the disaster loan portal. And so let me give the listeners here what that is. It is HTTPS um, colon backslash backslash disaster loans, one word, dot SBA dot gov. And that'll take you right to the site. And, and that is the workaround that my staff um, discover no I'm sorry it wasn't my staff it was actually a dentist who's on our Council of Government Affairs that's what it is who, who found the way around the site so again it's https colon backslash backslash disaster loans dot sba dot gov and try that and, and your folks may be able to get into that I just did it I just did it before we went on and I got right into the site, didn't have to wait, didn't crash, got right on. Okay. We have a question that says, can I apply for a 7A loan even though I have a line of credit through the local bank? Uh, I don't see why not. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, next question. That was an easy one, guys. Uh, I believe that it says if you have 10 employees, um, then you need 10 back. Do they have to be the same 10? Question mark. <laughs> Bit of a coy question, but I have a good question, nonetheless. 
I think the point is that they're trying to keep the same staff that you had. I don't think it's a numbers thing from a, a purely a numbers situation. It's trying to, I mean, if you think about what this is trying to do, this is a stimulus package to keep the economy going. So as long as they have people back in your offices that were there before, that's the, that's the end game. That's exactly why. Fantastic. And let's see here. Um, ba -ba -bum. Okay. I believe they've already answered that question, but we'll ask it just to make sure. Uh, guys, just for confirmation, whenever someone is un, on furlough and they're asked to come in for emergency patients, do they still qualify for FMLA after April 1st? I, I think those two are not, those are mutually exclusive things. They're not connected. Don't know why. But anyway, uh, guys, I would say from, this, from yeah. my understanding, I believe where the question is actually going, what you meant to ask was, can they still get unemployment? Yes, they can still get unemployment if they're working part-time for you. It's a part-time unemployment. And that was actually answered. I, I think the we family that earlier, yeah. medical yeah. act is mainly if you have a, if you have someone in your family who is sick and you're taking care of them, or if you have children who can't go to daycare. Uh, so, um, if, if you have any further questions, please go back and watch the rest of the video. Some of this information was covered. I know we've been going for a while, but, um, they'll, they'll be able to address any further questions. If you put them into the, um, into the comment section, I will get them out to Dr. Armstrong and also to Mr. Graham. Okay. Next question. Once all the bills were settled, when is the ADA looking to address the inconsistent lengths of emergency only mandates on the states? such as in Oregon, we're 90 days. Um, I believe that's a state by state legislature. Yeah. The ADA does not have an enforcement body. Uh, one of the things you guys have to understand is that no matter what the ADA wants to happen, they can't mandate it. All they can do is set guidelines for the states to follow. Um, what they can do is they can fight for us in Congress, but whenever you're looking at something that's a local law issue, like how long do you have to remain closed, that's your governor, my friends. It, 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 am I am I speaking out of church here? Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. I, um, Chris, I might just put a plug in for the ADA.org slash virus because we, we've got that uh, site updated daily. I would recommend that your listeners get on that first thing in the morning and then before they go to bed at night because stuff changes that quickly with this information. Absolutely. And a lot of the guidance that we're providing on that website is like like hot off the press. I mean, we've, we've had some frustrations dealing with the CDC trying to get guidelines for, for dental. So we put out our own guidelines. That's what some of this stuff is. We've got a, a robust science department at the, C, at the uh, ADA, and we're using the science that we have already, along with our dental practice people, to come up with a, a practical solution for our, for our members to be able to practice in, in, a, in un, you know, unprecedented uh, conditions here. Absolutely. And, and I have to say, Although people were go always going to have criticism, honestly, I think that um, I think you guys have put together a pretty amazing response for the number of people that we're, we're dealing with and, and, the, and the scope of this disaster. Now, a, a lot of people, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to here to the sound of my own voice here, which I, I hate it whenever interviewers do that, but a lot of people don't realize that this is truly unprecedented. Um, during the tech bubble crash of the 80s, we had some of this during the AIDS epidemic. We had some of this during SARS, MERS. We had some of this, but this is like every single disaster movie you've ever seen colliding in one place. 
Hell, we even have a couple of earthquakes. So folks, these are unprecedented times. It, I, I think you guys can probably agree with me on that. Absolutely. I do. Okay. I do. Chris, can I, can I yes, add sir. one thing? That Absolutely, I, please. I, so for those of you that may not know this, and I know Dr. Armstrong knows this um, because he's participated in, in um, some of uh, the uh, seminars that we've put on and when he was chair of the Council of Government Affairs, but um, we work very closely with the medical uh, community in Washington and, and obviously with our uh, dental uh, sister organizations. And, and it's, it's a group of a large, actually a fairly significant number of medical and dental groups in Washington, D.C. We try to get together because coalitions are good, they're important, and, and that way members of Congress and their staff hear um, from, they hear agreement from, from all these varying groups. So we work with the College of Surgeons and, and uh, the dermatologists, uh, as well as Amos and so forth. Well, today, um, I, one of my staff actually participated in a, a, a conference call that was set up with the House Small Business Committee. And the, how, the intention was that the House Small Business Committee would educate all these medical and dental groups on what the Small Business Committee uh, had intended uh, to do in this legislation to help um, the, the medical dental groups. And as they were going around and discussing the provisions of it, it became clear to my lobbyist who was sitting in on this call that these other organizations were not even close to where we are in this process. In other words, they don't understand what's in the bill. They aren't directing their members to do anything that we're doing. Now, why is that? It's because we have a, the ADA enjoys a terrific partnership in this crisis with our members who are helping us learn what they need to get through this. And it's, so, it's really quite an amazing thing that I've been able to witness over the last two weeks, which is the dentists are directing. We are a member-driven organization. The members are directing us as to what they need. And, and I've, been, I've received hundreds and hundreds of emails and phone calls and text messages from dentists who are saying, this is what we need. And, and as we're going through the process of trying to get what they need, they'll tell us how to refine it. That's why this exchange that we're having today, Dr. Armstrong, his leadership, and you, Chris, um, putting this on, it helps us understand what you need better. So the questions you're asking are very important for us, and we'll be putting up that information that makes us even better at what we're doing than we've done so far. But uh, um, we are way ahead of the game, and we're trying to get better every day. And so. I actually appreciate our members for helping us direct what you need. Well, guys, we've gone for an hour and 25 now. I am up for going more, but I know you guys have kids and you have other obligations. Are you okay answering a few more questions or, or do we need to button this up for now? A couple more would be, would a couple be more we can shut okay, it down. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, here's a good one. And I think this hits a lot of high points. Can you please summarize the business liabilities that qualify for EIDL, but I'm gonna I'm gonna actually say, can you please summarize what any of these loans can be used for? Um, they specifically want to know if they can be used to buy new equipment or replace equipment that's broken. Um, 
someone else is saying, no, you can only use it for payroll and rent. But that's exactly why we're here because we, we have the people who can answer those questions. So folks, what can it be used for? Can it be used for updating your office, expanding your office? Um, can it be no. used for anything else? Can any of these loans be used for anything else other than just rent and payroll liabilities? I think the only thing that could be used for anything you want is the $10,000 that you're going to get as a grant. I think that would be the only thing that you could probably use. But uh, the way the way I understand it is, is there are um, the, the, the legislation contains specific things like we talked about earlier, uh, mortgage, rent payment, utilities, salaries, sick leave, vacation, uh, things like that, but not, not uh, leasehold improvements, not buying new equipment or anything like that. I, I would agree. And, and Dr. Armstrong actually mentioned this. I think you put it in great perspective. Look, the, the, the money that has been appropriated for this, it, it, the intention is to help get small businesses through this rough time. Um, it's not intended for you know, building a new operatory or something, buying new equipment. It is to help you get through this rough spot. And, and that's what Congress would like, I think, you to do. In fact, um, if I'm not mistaken, there is, there, um, you really do have to use it for that. You're kind of, when you sign the papers, you're saying, I'm taking this money with the intention of using it for those purposes. So, and you may have to, you have to provide documentation that you're using it for those purposes as well. So I think it's not an option of where I'm gonna spend it. I've got this lump sum of money that I can use wherever I want you're going to have to allocate it to the things that it's been dedicated to and provide documentation that that's been used for those specific reasons. Excellent. Well, uh, gentlemen, there's only one more question here that we're going to, we're going to field. And that is um, what if one of my docs decides to retire and not return, will that affect the forgiveness? And I believe that's a no, because you didn't fire them. You didn't lay them off. They're retiring on their own. And so I believe you're not going to be liable in that instance. Um, oh wait, I'm bringing some new on board. Can I use the loan loan money to pay that person as well? Will that affect forgiveness? Okay, we're planning on bringing someone new on board. Can the loan be used to pay that person as well? Will it affect forgiveness? Not sure. I couldn't hear the question myself. Uh, someone's bringing on a new employee, and uh, they want to know if they can use the loan money to pay that new employee's um, salary or their wages or if that will affect forgiveness. I would think that the intent of the loan is to ensure employment and continued employment. So if you're actually increasing the number of employees, I don't see where that would be an issue. Um, gentlemen? I think Mike put it succinctly at the beginning though. He says, this is a snap, a, like a snapshot in time. I think they're trying to capture what you had when you began and what you're trying to get to at the end and make sure that that's consistent. So I would say that that wouldn't be the intent of the loan. Try at your own risk. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this interview tonight. I am going to reiterate what I said at the beginning of the program. Um, Rahm Manuel, for good or for ill, was, was known for saying, never let a good disaster go to waste or a good emergency go to waste. Folks, this is a great time for you to see just what the ADA does for you. Please. Join the ADA, support organized dentistry. If you're not helping to drive this car, you have no control over where it goes. The next thing I want to reiterate, ladies and gentlemen, times of trouble like these, uh, times whenever 
everything is a disaster and the world seems to be falling apart, bring out the good or the bad in people and they tell you their true character. Look around yourselves for the leaders that have risen up during this time and have helped you and look around for the people who are simply pointing fingers and throwing blame. And you will know who the real leaders are in your world. Gentlemen, thank you both for being leaders. Thank you, Chris. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. And um, I will see you tomorrow on my live discussing what we can do in these economic times and how we can make sure that we don't lose our butts. We'll see you then. 10 o'clock a.m. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.